Southern Company is a proud supporter of the LGBTQ community, and we pride ourselves on creating an environment where everyone feels celebrated for being their most authentic selves. Listening to the SoPod Network. In today's episode, we're celebrating the month of June as Pride Month and continuing the Moving to Equity conversation. Hi, I'm Justin Averett, Internal and Executive Communications Manager at Southern Company. Also have the, have the great honor of serving as president of Pride Power, Georgia Power's LGBTQ Employee Resource Group this year. I'm here with someone I've worked pretty closely with through Pride Power this past year, Abby Parsons, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Manager at Georgia Power. Welcome to the SoPod Network, Abby, and happy Pride Month. Happy Pride. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I can remember that I attended Pride festivals really for several years before I even came out. And I remember them being really kind of like these magical weekends that you could walk down the street and I would see people wearing rainbow T-shirts and stickers and glitter. And you could walk the street and see same-sex couples holding each other's hands. And that was something growing up in small town Alabama that I wasn't really used to seeing. So to get away to a place like Atlanta Pride and see that really left a powerful impression for me. And I just want to start with a basic question. Like, what does pride mean to you? Yeah, sure. You know, my first ever pride parade, I went to San Francisco Pride, which is about as big as you can get for a pride parade. That was my first one. And I, you know, I had a similar experience, even though I was out at the time, um, which was just seeing so many people, seeing how diverse our community was um, and seeing so many people coming together to celebrate that visibility, that resilience, that strength and that courage that the LGBTQ community has. Um, so for me, pride is is that. It's a celebration of our resilience and our strength. I also, for me, it's really important that we remember that even though now pride is a much bigger kind of family-friendly event. We have corporations there. We have community organizations, political candidates and legislators that it started as a riot, right? So the first ever Pride Parade, 1970, um, which was uh, a year after the Stonewall riots, that was commemorating an act of resilience and resistance against police brutality and state violence. And I think that um, even as we move to this place where Pride is this big, colorful, rainbow, family-friendly event, that we need to remember its origins and that our fight still isn't over. Um, even though we're all partying on Peachtree, if we're in Atlanta <laughs> right. every October, um, that like our work still isn't done, right? We're more, it's more than just a party, but it's a movement. It's a celebration of who we are and our diversity and our courage. Um, but it's also for me, pride is also a reminder that our community is stronger when we're together and that we still have a lot of work to do to get where we need to be for full acceptance. Yeah, I agree with that totally. It's a balance between celebration and realizing there's still work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started at, I started at Alabama Power in 2018, I committed to being completely out as a gay man at work. Mm-hmm. That was something that I hadn't previously done for many reasons or several reasons, professional and personal. Um, and I've been really fortunate in my experience to really feel accepted and to be able to be myself at work. And I know that that's not a benefit that everybody in our community has. Um, I'm wondering if you can speak more broadly, maybe not specifically to our company, but it's something that 
straight people might not think about, but there can be a sense of isolation in the workplace for gay or lesbian workers. Um, you have the stress of constantly having to out yourself to people. Um, you ha- fundamentally, there's a fear, will I be accepted? Will I be rejected? But can you talk about the experience, maybe enlighten people who maybe haven't thought about what LGBTQ employees face? Yeah, sure. You know, one thing that I have heard a lot in, in my career is, why do people need to come out at work? Like, I don't go around telling people I'm straight. Uh, and that's because we live in a society where heterosexuality is still the presumed norm, right? Everyone assumes that you're straight unless you say otherwise. And so, you know, queer folks, and you're going to hear me use the, the word queer a lot in this podcast. It's a shorthand for me for LGBTQ. And it's one of the terms that I identify with. Queer folks do still need to um, make a choice about whether to be out or not um, and to whom and to accept the risks that might come with coming out. Now, in 2020, the Supreme Court uh, ruled that Title VII protected LGBT people from workplace discrimination, which was fantastic. Um, Justice Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion um, saying that Title VII, you know, which protects us from all kinds of workplace harassment and discrimi- discrimination, included sexual orientation and gender identity. But we know that still workplace discrimination occurs. It goes underreported. Um, people might feel they can only report it if they have the resources and the safety to be able to do so. We know that people are still losing their jobs. They're still experiencing hostile work environments um, through, you know, because of folks who aren't accepting of who they are. So there's a whole, you know, for me, I was out at Georgia Power before I even worked here because I was actually invited to moderate a panel for Pride Power the year before I came to work here because I was working in it. <laughs> did you know? Wow, that? I did you know not that? know that. No. <laughs> There's pictures of it. It's like me and you Meredith Lackey and Nick Slappy. Yeah. So I was working as the founding director of the LGBTQIA Resource Center at Georgia Tech, and they invited me to moderate a panel for Pride Power for Pride Month. So even before I started working here, I was like, well, you know, if they're going to hire me, um, they already know I'm, you know, I'm a lesbian, I'm queer, like they must be comfortable with that. Um, And I'd been to that event. And so it was well attended. There were senior leaders there. So I came into a company feeling pretty comfortable. Um, I had been out for so long, I wasn't going to go back into the closet for work. But I've been very fortunate. Like I have a lot of privilege in that area. And it's not so fortunate for folks who may work. You know, I think I always give the example of folks who work in rural areas where like, that car manufacturing factory is the only gig in town, right? And if you can't come out comfortably there, you might not come out at work, right? And you might not have a lot, it can't be as simple as, well, I'll just go work somewhere else. Um, So I always wanna think it really depends on your geographic location, the job opportunities available to you, how much support you have in your day-to-day life, um, whether you feel like you have a community that you can be a part of outside of work, the visibility of LGBTQ folks that you see in work, right? That makes a difference. So there's so many factors that can go into whether a person decides to come out or not. And I think, you know, I I have heard from many folks who are not out to other people except to me that they face a lot of challenges not being able to share who they are, who their family is, who they live with, who they love with their coworkers in the way that their straight coworkers get to do. Yeah, I don't think people realize that. And I saw a stat from Catalyst that said 46% of U.S. employees are closeted at work. Mm. Um, And you don't think about it, but like being asked, what did you do this weekend? Or like, you know, what are you, um, you have plans for this, anything. Mm -hmm. It could be personal life. It could be anything. You don't think about the experience of coming out as a straight person. It's just natural. Like I'm going to go have a 
dinner and a movie with my girlfriend. And th- nobody thinks a second to say that. I remember when I came out, um, I started, like I said, I started at work as an, as open, but you still, there's still the process of coming out to each individual person that you interact with. So it was the first time that I mentioned being gay to my boss and to his boss and to our VP and to everyone else on my team. And that's something that straight people really don't have to identify with or go through that experience. And it can be a bit exhausting because even though I felt comfortable in who I am, you never know what kind of reception you're going to get from the person on the other end of that conversation. Yeah. And there's a bit of a risk involved there. For sure. Yeah. And I think even sometimes it's the awkward conversations where, you know, you might say, oh, you know, my partner and I are buying a house and, oh, what, what does he do? Right. And I have to say, oh, well, I'm not married to a he, you know, and, right. and, no, you I've know, been there. And then that person gets really uncomfortable. Um, and for me, you know, my partner is transgender. They're a non-binary person. Um, and what I have found recently is uh, when people learn that I'm queer, they assume my partner is a woman and uses she, her pronouns. So they say, well, what does she do? And I have to say, well, my partner's not a he or a she. My partner uses they, them pronouns. And then they get, and so, you know, the last five years that we've been together, that's like a whole new coming out for me is having, you know, having to explain folks I have a transgender partner, which is something that most folks are, even folks who are, oh, I understand what gay and lesbian means. They're like, non-binary, what's that? And they don't understand how to talk about my partner. They misgender my partner all the time. Um, and so there's there's new coming outs, you know, throughout our lives. We Like you said, you don't just come out to to everybody at once, you're coming out to like, it's every person that you interact with, it's a new coming out and a risk that you're taking. Right. Um, I'd mentioned in my opening comments about being president of Pride Power this year. And um, our goal is to foster an environment where people can be their authentic selves at work and that they're valued and respected for who they are. Um, Can you talk a little about why authenticity is important? I guess that ability to put your guard down why that's important not only for our employees, but also why it makes business sense mm-hmm. for employees to bring their authentic selves to work. Sure, yeah. You know, and what I knew, you know, when you told me you wanted to talk about this term authenticity, you know, what immediately came to mind for me was it's such a complicated word in the LGBTQ community because we want people to be able to show up as they are and to feel comfortable. And we know that there are a lot of ways similar to how women or people of color are policed in terms at work, in terms of how they can behave or dress or talk. It's similar for queer folks, right? Um, I think there's a lot of ways in which folks might feel pressure to dress more straight, appear more straight, um, conform to gender norms with their speech patterns, right? I know many gay men, they're very different when I see them on the weekend than they are at work when they're, I got to tone it down. and then just, right. just The way they sound on the telephone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and that can be hard because I think our professional norms, when we talk about what it means to be professional, they're often, I think, still to this day grounded in whiteness and heterosexuality, um, in kind of cisgender norms. Um, so, you know, not, not kind of defying gender norms. Right. And so I think that's, you know, I, I think that's one of our biggest barriers still is that that self-policing and the policing from others that goes on about how we can act. But this word authenticity is so loaded because one of the, the accusations I think that gets leveled at the LGBTQ community and especially the transgender community is if we're not out about who we are, then we're lying. We're being deceitful. We're deceptive. And we don't recognize that we haven't cre- yet created the kind of society where everyone feels comfortable being out. Um, and that's something that the transgender community hears a lot. Like, you need to tell someone that you're not really this. You were born this, right? And like the, the, those kinds of hostile comments that trans people get. But I've heard it leveled against the LGBT community as 
well um, that if you are not being open about who you are, then you're not being honest. Um, and I think that's a challenge. I, I think back to um, in the early 1990s, you know, there's a gay activist, Michelangelo Signorelli, and he, he was famous for outing celebrities who were closeted. And he outed Jodie Foster. And he said, you know, she's a lesbian. She'd been in the Silence of the Lambs. She just won this Oscar. You know, she's a lesbian. And there was a lot of backlash to that. And I, I firmly believe that you should not out people without their consent. But he, his argument was, if you're in the public eye, you have a responsibility to destigmatize being gay. Um, so you, you need to be out. You have to represent that community. And I don't believe that because I don't think it's on the LGBT community who already face so much harassment and discrimination to try and change things on their own, right? I think that that our straight and cisgender allies need to create the kinds of conditions where people do feel comfortable being out at work and, and everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be the ideal is that we have a workplace. We have every part of our life where people feel comfortable being who they are. But in reality, that's not that's not the world we are in today. I hope we can get there someday, mm -hmm. um, but we're not there yet. Um, I've got a stat here that says that over one in three LGBTQ people say they experienced discrimination at some point last year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that over 50% of LGBTQ Americans hide their personal relationships um, because they fear or they want to avoid discrimination. And so I, I do think we have a ways to go. And it's not just in the workplace. Uh, it's access to housing and health care and mental health. And there's a lot of homelessness is a huge issue. I wonder, can you speak broadly about some of the issues the LGBTQ community face in regards to housing or health care or um, outside of just the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I think we see this um, even more starkly when we look at LGBTQ youth um, and, and the transgender community, because there's a lot of very recent and relevant data around those communities. Um, we know that in um, when it comes to healthcare, the LGBT community accessing competent, um, sensitive, inclusive healthcare is still a challenge. There are still lots of medical practitioners who don't understand much about how LGBT LGBT people live their lives or the relationships we have and, and those kinds of things. So something as simple as going to the doctor can be a real struggle for LGBT folks who don't know if they're going to get the right kind of care. We know that um, LGBT youth are much more likely to experience homelessness um, than youth who are not LGBTQ. Um, a large, the, the most, um, like I said, the most significant factor in LGBTQ youth homelessness is family rejection. Um, I worked for five years with students at Georgia Tech, and I saw some of the most heartbreaking things you can imagine, from students being kicked out by their parents, their tuition taken away. Um, a common one for transgender youth was when they came out to their parents, their parents would kick them off their health insurance so that they couldn't use their health insurance to get hormones or surgery that was literally life-saving for them. We know that gender-affirming care for the trans community saves lives. Um, and, you know, and, and often their campus community was their only support network. Um, that was the only place they could get a meal, that they could be referred to, you know, free counseling services or low-cost medical services. So we see it most starkly among our LGBTQ youth, especially among the transgender community. Um, those high levels of homelessness, 
Um, we still higher levels of substance abuse in the LGBTQ community, more likely to abuse um, drugs and alcohol, more likely to smoke than folks who are not LGBTQ, um, often as a way to cope with the mental health struggles that come from being rejected. And that's something I think people get confused is they think that being queer is the right. mental illness. That and makes you more likely to be homeless <laughs> or to use drugs. But right. no, it's really how other people are reacting to you in that fear of rejection or, or actually being rejected. Yeah. Yeah. It's that hostile, you know, that, that hostile response, that rejection that then causes that anxiety, depression, um, suicidal ideation. We know that 40% of transgender people report attempting suicide, which is I think eight times higher than the general population. And again, it's not because being transgender means that you're mentally ill. It's because they face such high levels of rejection from family, communities, places of worship, workplaces, um, that often they feel like they're left with no other options. So there's so much I could say about the different areas in which discrimination occurs. Um, uh, you know, and I would say, you know, the, the U.S. transgender survey that came out in 2015 is a great resource for learning about the, the challenges of the trans community. The Trevor Project does great work on LGBTQ youth. Um, and then GLSEN, which is the Gay, Lesbian and Straight Education Network, also has really um, eye opening data about discrimination in K through 12 education for LGBTQ youth. And you'll read some of those things and just think like we need to do better by our queer and trans kids because they're not making it. Um, if they make it, it's because of, you know, it, it's sort of like against the odds, the odds um, not yes. because they had the right support. Yeah, it's like swimming upstream. Yeah. But it's and we've talked about discrimination and some of the other challenges our community faces. But I think a lot of progress has also been made. Uh, a lot of stats were in the news last week. Um, this study came out. More people are identifying as LGBTQ than ever before. I think the number was 17%. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, and I don't think more people are gay or lesbian or trans. I just think more people are comfortable coming out and coming out at a younger age. If you look back 20, 30 years ago, it was pretty regular to see people coming out in their 30s and 40s and 50s and it taking a whole lifetime to work through being gay or lesbian. And so I do think it's encouraging that younger people are feeling more comfortable at coming out at an earlier age. And that's what we're seeing reflected in those stats. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because back in the 1950s, Alfred Kinsey, who was a biologist and a, and a researcher, you know, he did a lot of studies on how many people experience same-sex attraction. Now, his research was a little bit flawed. He focused mo mostly on like the prison population. But what he found was that, in fact, many, many more people have had same-sex encounters or experienced desire for someone of the same gender than what we know on a day-to-day -day basis. So many people were living, you know, with a, a partner of a different gender, were living, you know, identifying as straight, but their experiences and desires were <laughs> different from how they identified. And I think you're right. I think the more, you know, I think we're seeing a big moral panic right now in the U.S. And there's people that are frightened because they're saying there must be some grooming. There must be some converting happening. Like I the queer community is recruiting and grooming LGBT youth. And that's not true. What we're seeing is increased visibility and increased acceptance is leading more and more queer and trans youth to see that as a possibility for themselves. Like you said, I mean, even for my generation, when I was young, I, you know, I saw these people coming out after, you know, women coming out as a lesbian after 20, 30 years of marriage to a man. man that was kids much and more family. common. Yes, very, very common. And now it's like, not that they necessarily regret their journey. Right. But 
now they don't, people don't have to kind of live a life that doesn't feel comfortable or right for them because they can be who they are. They're seeing role models. They're seeing media representation. They're getting the support they need younger. So I don't think it's that same sex attraction that be or being transgender is becoming more common. It's becoming uh, more people are coming out um, and more people are realizing it was an option um, for them. Whereas years ago, you'll hear from trans adults who came out late in life there. I always knew I was different, but there wasn't a word for it. I didn't know that this was that I could do this. Right. And so now we're creating the kind of world where people have a word to put with how they feel and they can be who they are at a younger age. And I think that can only be a positive thing. Yeah, I've joked with you this month about the number of DEI presentations that I've given. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's pretty high number this month so far, um, and we've joked that you know I'm gay 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. That I can talk about these issues other than just June for National Pride Month. Right. I'll be glad to talk about them anytime. But seriously, it is something that I'm passionate about and love the opportunity to speak upon. But one question I always get asked given the vast majority of our employees don't identify as LGBTQ, don't identify as non-binary, you know, what can I do to be, as a straight person, to be a better ally? And so I guess that's the question that I would pose to you. How can employees, particularly straight employees, be better allies for our community? Yeah, that's that's such a great question. And there's a few things. I mean, one, self, self-work self and self-education is so important. Um, you know, at Georgia Power, we offer um, an LGBTQ 101 workshop. We're about to launch our LGBTQ 201 workshop, which is on advanced allyship. The company, at Southern Company, we have so many great online resources that you can access just to learn the vocab, right? Learn about the concepts. Don't put the burden onto queer people for them to educate you, right? Some of us are very happy to do that educating. I'm always happy to answer those questions. But you know, Google is your friend here. See what you can find out first and do your homework. I think the other thing is don't assume that your queer colleagues who are sitting there closeted know that you're an ally, right? Don't, don't just assume like, well, everyone knows I'm a nice person. Like they wouldn't, you know, it doesn't work like that. And, you know, if I can just share a brief story, I, you know, at a previous job, I was doing a training where we did an activity that helped people really understand um, what their role was when someone comes out to them. And I remember one day one of my coworkers came to my office and she sat at my desk and she was just crying. And she said, Abby, you know, I've been my best friend. We've been best friends for like 20 something years. She's I'm, you know, I'm her daughter's, you know, godmother. Um, But I've never known her. You know, she hasn't been in a relationship with a man for years. And when I was doing this activity, I, I suddenly realized that over the years, like, I think she's been in relationships with women. I think she's a lesbian. But because I would always kind of make the odd joke about the gay community or I didn't explicitly affirm that I was an ally, she's never told me. And wow. she's like, and we've been, we've been best. And she knows everything about me. And I'm starting to realize I don't know anything about her. You know, I like, really, I really don't know who she is. And she was so, she's like, I got to do better. Because she's like, I realized that by not saying things or by making the odd comment, you know, the odd joke that... I was signaling to her that I was not a safe person for her to come out to. And that's something I would say to folks is proactively bring it up. I went to a great LGBT workshop the other day. I watched a great documentary on Netflix about transgender folks, and it really helped me understand and appreciate their struggle. And I'm going to, you know, it's really going to make me change how I how I approach the trans community. So drop this in a conversation. Bring this up. Host a DEI moment with your team. Um 
you know, if you have a cube or an office and you're decorating it with different pictures, you know, put up like ally pins or buttons and things like that. Don't wait for someone to come out to you for you to say, yeah, I'm an ally. You have to signal that up front. Otherwise, people are not going to say anything. Um, so that's the biggest thing I would say is one, educate yourself. And two, make sure people know what kind of person you are and what you stand for so that they don't have to guess if you're the kind of person um, that they can come out to. And I would just add, finally, speak up when you hear those jokes right? Intervene um, because I think especially now we're seeing so much anti-transgender and anti-LGBT legislation being passed around the country that people are having ill-informed conversations about things they don't fully understand. Um, Speak up, intervene, um, because you never know if that person sitting there quietly eating their lunch in the break room next to you has a trans kid they are bisexual, they are gay, and they're thinking, wow, no one's sticking up for me, right? So be that person who intervenes and stands up. Yeah, that's great. I wanted to talk a little about community. And we have this concept of chosen family, and you might explain what that is in your comments, but I think Proud Power has done a good job at fostering this sense of community and place for our members. Uh, we're the smallest DRG at Georgia Power at just at 400 members or so. Um, as part of our move into equity, we really have fostered these groups, not some of them are ERGs, but not just solely ERGs. We have expanded and built this network of small groups and employee-led groups. I think it's important to specify. Uh, I know in our own department, in our move to equity, we launched a small group discussion following the death of George Floyd in 2020. And we talked a lot about race. And it was really an eye-opening experience to have this one-on-one conversation with employees about topics that I would have never had a, those conversations just wouldn't naturally have come up without that experience of being in this small led group. So I guess, can you talk a little about ERGs and, and these small groups and how they are helping us advance equity and building inclusion and respect? Yeah, sure. You know, so our employee resource groups, they do a fantastic job of, you know, one, um, helping drive, um, retention and career development for our employees. They help educate the company on different DEI topics, but a really critical function of ERGs is they provide a space of community and belonging for folks who are like you. Now, you know, especially for the LGBT community, so I would say my gaydar is very good. I can usually tell who's family and who's not. but uh, I just dropped some LGBT vocab in there, but hopefully the context speaks for itself. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of folks who you don't always know who's part of your community um, in the LGBT community because you sometimes can't tell by looking at someone um, if they identify the same way as you. And so Pride Power allows people to come together and build that community, find support from people who are like them that might be experiencing the same kinds of challenges um, and just to grow with one another. I mean, you know what you said just about chosen family In the LGBT community, so many of us have experienced some kind of family rejection or don't feel 100% comfortable talking about our lives or relationships with our families. And, um, you know, for me, like I didn't come out until I was 31 and I was getting married for the first time. And uh, to, to my parents, I should say, I was out long before that. But I came out to my dad when I was 31 and he didn't speak to me for, for a year and a half. Um, and it was only when my parents almost kind of got divorced. It was, a, it was a catalyst in them almost getting divorced. And they, my parents repaired their relationship that my dad finally realized that he was going to lose me too if he didn't start talking to me. Um, and that's the reality of so many people, right? I think we, we're used to seeing so, many, so much more LGBT representation in the media now that we think, oh, it's so accepted. And it's not. There are LGBT youth and adults being rejected by their families everywhere. 
And our chosen family um, is the community that we build, right? It's those people that we can turn to when our families of origin um, don't provide a, a safe place or, or a safe home for us. And so, um, you know, our pride power is can be an extension of that chosen family. It gives you people at work so you feel less isolated. It provides a source of visibility. So if I'm new to the company and I'm not sure if I can be out or not, and I see pride power, right? I can go to one of those events and realize like, okay, other people are out here. Like there's someone I can go talk to and, and learn more about the culture. Um, so for me, ERGs and especially Pride Power, they provide that, that space of connection, belonging, visibility. And then they're, you know, our ERGs are advocates for their communities to senior leadership, right? So they're able to go to senior leaders and say, this is how LGBTQ employees are feeling about things. That's This is what they want the company to do about it. And that's important too, because it provides that important conduit, um, you know, from, the, from our employees at all levels of the company right up to senior leaders. Well, your experience really mirrors my own. I was 29 when I came out to my parents and you talked about Gaydar and I'm really <laughs> surprised. That, I, I think maybe they did know, but um, it still came as a surprise, at least uh, in that moment. And it's not that I don't feel like I wasn't accepted. It, it was more that I knew my whole life that I was gay, you know, really from an early age. Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with parents and family members, it sometimes they don't have, you know, that 15 or 20, 25 years to have worked through all of that and right. to have uh, come to the realization that, no, I'm not going to change. Yeah. This is who I am. And, you know, there's no amount of, you know, wishing or praying or hoping that's going to change. Um, today, I, I wouldn't change myself if I could. I love who I am. But uh, it, with your family, sometimes it's difficult in the sense that it takes time for some mm -hmm. people. Um, and I'm not saying that's right or that's okay. I'm just saying that's a reality that um, I had, you know, 29 years to process being gay. So, you know, coming out was a surprise and it took time to work through. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I did have a chosen family of friends that I could turn to who were there to support me. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what I would have done without that group. And um, I love that we're able to, I'm not saying we're a family at Pride Power, but I'm, I'm very happy that we can provide a small sense of family in place to our members. Yeah. I mean, because for folks who might not have that kind of comfort level at home, it might be that work is the only place where they feel comfortable being out. And so Pride Power often, you know, might pr might provide that space as well for folks who don't yet have their chosen family and whose family of origin are not supportive. All right. I want to end on a bit of a personal note. Um, I watch a pretty famous show and I'm not going to name it so we don't get any kind of trademark issues <laughs> here on our SoPod network. But it's a drag competition. I'm <laughs> probably going to know what it is. Um, each season toward the end, the finalists are showing a picture of their younger selves and they're asked for advice would they give the younger version of themselves. You know, and I thought about this and I'm going to ask you the same question, but, you know, what advice would I give young Justin if I could go back in time? Um, and, you know, I don't want to get like too personal because this is a professional network, but, um, you know, I, I guess I would tell myself that, you know, just be yourself and it's okay to be different. And not to be ashamed of who you are. Um, I would also probably be kinder to myself that, and give myself a little bit more grace. Um, that growth is not always linear and it's not always pretty um, or easy. But if you stay true to who you are um, and on the other side of many years of fear and uncertainty and question, questioning, things do get better. I mean, that's kind of a mantra in our community. 
um, that things get better, um, and that there's a very happy place and a, a really a great life waiting on waiting for you on the other side. So, I don't have a, f- a young photo of Abby here, but <laughs> what advice would you give to your to a younger version of yourself? I think what you said was a lot more beautiful and profound that, than what I was going to say, which is one, don't waste too much time dating boys in your teens because that was a non-starter. Well, I, actually, I was going <laughs> to, I should have dated more boys earlier. So, yeah, I had a lot of, uh, no, not a lot. I just wasted a lot of energy, like trying to force myself to like guys that I did not like. And then those relationships unsurprisingly went nowhere. Um, I also really put myself in a box at the time when I came out, you know, the, there, you know, I came out. 21 years ago, there wasn't a lot of lesbian representation and visibility in the media at the time. Um, Ellen was pretty much it. (laughs) Melissa Etheridge, Katie Lang, um, who were all more masculine presenting, were more masculine clothing. And I thought to be a lesbian, to be seen and visible as a lesbian, I had to dress in a more masculine way. I had to have short hair. Um, so fortunately, there's not many photos of me from that era because I made some very questionable <laughs> fashion and hair choices for, for myself. Um, and I think I would go back and say, like, you know, you can wear the pink, you can wear the makeup, you can have the long hair. It doesn't make you any less queer. You're no less of a lesbian. Um, and I think I would have not wasted so much time like you know, I spent so long trying to fit myself into a straight community. And then I spent so long trying to fit myself into a box in the queer community <laughs> with what I thought was acceptable. And that that just wasn't true. And like now, you know, um, for listeners, I'm sitting here in like a floral blouse. I have long hair and dangly earrings. I still don't wear heels because I can't walk in them. But um, I'm kind of a, a bit of a failure at that. But, um, you know, I would say like, just be who you want to be and stop trying to force yourself to fit into another community because that's not where you're going to find freedom. That's not where you're going to find authenticity. That said, I think those boys I dated in my teens and the the questionable haircuts and clothes I had, you know, in my, in my like early 20s, that was part of my journey. So I don't regret it. Um, I think I had to go through that to get to where I am now. And so I'm grateful for the struggle. I'm grateful for the, um, you know, the, the, journey that I went on to get to where I am because now I love who I am. I um, feel I feel visible in a queer community, even presenting as someone who is more feminine. Um, I found a queer community who values femininity um, and sees it as still it's still possible to be queer and feminine. So um, and I have a you know, I'm very fortunate that I have a, most of my friends outside of work are queer in some way, queer or trans. And so I've been very fortunate to find a community that accepts me for how I want to present myself and live my life. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I will have to have you back sometime that's not Pride Month. Maybe we can do this <laughs> in another month. I can speak about all kinds of things, not just not just being gay. So. Right, right. A lot of D&I stuff I'm sure we could cover. For sure. Thanks so much for having me on, Justin. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SoPod Network. Remember, you can listen on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. 